This is Spoiler Country, a podcast about comics, movies, whatever, but mostly comics. Enjoy. Previously on Spoiler Country. All right. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kendrick Regan. That's Johnny Horsley. And today on our show, it's the life of Stan Lee. Stan the man. Yeah, it's and I think it's a little poignant with what's going on today. Uh, he definitely means a lot to both of us. And everybody who loves comics. Yeah, anybody who loves comics or, you know, he's a big part of my childhood growing up. And, you know, when I was a little kid, it was Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And you would hear Stan Lee's voice every Saturday morning. And so, yeah, he's he's responsible for a, a lot in the industry. Yeah, a lot for, in the industry. And whether you like his relationship with Jack Kirby and who said what or who did what or who created what, it's irrelevant because Marvel and the Marvel movies that we have today and all the characters that you know wouldn't be here without him. No, they wouldn't. So he, he's a really big deal, man. And and uh, I'll be honest, I'll probably cry when he dies. <laughs> a lot of people will. I mean. No matter what, he's the face of a he's the face of a genre, yeah. the face of a medium of comics. You yeah, know, that you think comics, you think Stanley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's some like in was it Infantino with uh, DC, but you have to be a comic book nerd to know who he is. Yeah, people who don't read comic books know who Stanley is. Yeah, that's you as soon know. as you see his face, you know who he is, or you hear his voice, you know who he right. is, and right, you know, I mean. There's a great, the great advertising, not the advertising, but yeah, I guess it was an advertisement where he mimicked uh, Burt Reynolds' Playgirl photo shoot. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's he's probably one of the world's best marketers to ever come out. Yeah, I mean, he marketed a genre. Yeah, he was an amazing individual, and there's some things that have been said, especially lately, that I don't think they're all true, and I think. Uh, I I think there's some nefarious things going on over at that house. But, of course, that's all speculative. We can't say it is or it's not because you're, we're not there. We're not personally right, involved right. and we don't know. And, and so, you know, all we can do is celebrate who the man is and, and hopefully everything works out the way it's supposed to. All right. Let's get let's get into it. Yeah. So you. You did some research on this, right? Yep, I did, we I did. A, yep, did a ton of research. <laughs> I actually did. It took a few hours actually to, to throw this all together. Uh, found quite a few different websites. Um, the next information I'm going to give is taken directly from CNN, and uh, we're just going to go through nice. the, the personal stuff, and then we'll hit his timeline. So he was born December 28th, 1922, in New York, New York, and he was yep. actually born as Stanley Martin Lieber. And yeah, had it, his his last name was not Lee. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, it's it it's taken from Lieber, so. But if yeah. you, if you just took the Lee, it would say lie. <laughs> right <laughs> from Lieber. Stand lie. <laughs> <laughs> his father, his father Jack, was a tailor. Um, his mother's name was Cecilia, and you know he married Joan Lee. What December nineteen forty seven, and they were married all the way until twenty seventeen seventeen when she died in July last year. That's a long time to yeah. be married. <laughs> three three years or three days after we started our podcast, she passed away. Yeah, I remember. I remember, I remember when she passed away, and it being you know pretty sad because that's a romance story. To, I mean, that's that's a long time to be married to somebody. Yeah, it is a long time to be married, and 
it's you know he had two children uh one is jan she actually passed away um as an infant yeah and then that's sad and then uh, it's gotta be tough yeah and then joan who's alive today and um who i think is taking care of him um currently and she goes by jc right now right yeah jc yep jc lee yeah. yeah and he was in the u.s army during world war ii from 1942 to 1945 he was a sergeant um this is kind of cool so <laughs> okay so this is so this is taken from another thing i can't remember where i read it but this is absolutely true he wrote manuscripts and training films for the signal corps during world war ii that's what his job was and that's <laughs> he's only one of nine people in the army listed as a playwright really yeah that's awesome yeah i don't know who the other eight would be we i i wish i could have found those people because it would have been kind of cool to see who they are you never know you know could be nobody's yeah, yeah. or it could be anybody you know well, i i remember i remember reading about that something similar to that or that exact same thing before and the other people who are listed as a playwright or do the same work as him are, were people who went on to have a name for themselves, you know, in, in in the world of writing and stuff like that. But I can't remember who they are, though. Yeah. So let's get into the timeline of who Stanley, uh, how he got into Marvel Comics and and some of the significant years of him being in the comic book industry. It's an interesting story of how he got to where he ended up being. Yeah. Well, it's it's. It goes through, this is, you know, what I have here, we'll kind of fill in the blanks based on our own personal knowledge, and then and we'll just keep going. Uh, yeah. So 1939, and I think we I think we actually talked about this in the past, and I think it was a cousin, right? I think it was a, a cousin. I think we thought yeah. it was like an uncle, but I think at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we, we realized it's a cousin. Anyways, through family connections, Lee gets a job as an assistant at Timely Comics, which later evolves into Marvel Comics. Yep, much uh, later, but yeah, much later, yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 pretty funny because I actually think it goes from timely to Atlas, then finally Marvel, something like that. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think Atlas. I have to look up again. Atlas wasn't actually Marvel. Atlas was people who other the other guy from Mar from, from Timely who spun off into something else. Oh, and then they absorbed him. Yeah, I think that they got absorbed. Okay, okay. So when he, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's all right. I I, I think you might be right. Either way. Atlas becomes Marvel, right? Either either by absorption or the fact that Timely became Atlas and then Atlas becomes Marvel. But they did release books as Atlas for a while, right? Yeah, it, then and then it became Marvel Comics in the sixties. It was yeah, nineteen forty one. He becomes the editor of Timely Comics. So from nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty one, he was trying to get into writing and doing that stuff but he really was like getting sandwiches for the artist and filling inkwells right. and doing all that kind of stuff he was really the gopher go for this he go was for the errand boy yeah. yeah yeah he was the errand boy and then he finally becomes an editor and he starts working on things like captain america and other tons of other books i mean it's, there's too many to really list captain america I'm, I'm sure he worked on the marvel comics line he worked on the the Human Torch line and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, one of the first full stories that he wrote for for Marvel, or it might have been Timely or Atlas at the time, was Zombie. And they have a character called oh, Zombie, right? That's just... Yeah. Yeah, and he actually wrote one of the first storylines in the 50s for, for Zombie. And I'm not too <laughs> sure if that's the same Zombie character, because it's very confusing. Marvel has a character named Zombie, which is right. weird. 
which is how they trademark their word zombie. Right. So I'm not sure if it's that particular character or if it was just yeah. a story called Zombie where he, he writes about a zombie. But I think it's right. the character. And I, just, and I just looked it up. Uh, Timely, Timely became Atlas and then Atlas became Marvel Comics right. through Martin Goodman. Yeah, yeah, see, so, I was yeah. right. Yep, yep. Okay, so we get through the 1940s and the 1950s and he's editing... He's an actual editor, and he's doing a lot of some writing. Not a lot. I don't think he's done a lot. Well, that's a lie. I think he actually has done quite a bit, but nothing to where his most prolific decade is about to happen. No, no. He was he was working, but he wasn't doing anything fantastic yet. Right. And it's funny that you say it that way, because in 1961, <laughs> Lee and his Marvel collaborators, and we know who they are, like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko come up with who? The Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four. Who else? They come up with Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk and... The X-Men. The X-Men and Thor and Iron Man and basically everybody that's making billions of dollars in the movies today. Right. <laughs> it is an amazing run for any person. And whether he yeah. had collaborators or not, Stan Lee's fingerprint is on every single one of those people. Those characters. Well, you know, here's here, here's a fun tidbit for you. So I'm cur- I'm currently doing research for our in- our future Infinity War episode, right? Right. And part of that research is I'm gathering all of the characters that are in the movie and looking up their backstories and all this. You're probably doing way too much than I should, but whatever. And one of the things I did was I cataloged who was the creators of all the characters for everybody who's appearing in Infinity War. Right. So out of the 48 characters that I can confirm are going to be in the movie that I have listed. 22 of them have Stanley's name on them. Yeah, see, I mean, that is amazing. I mean... And you can argue, and people will argue, well, what about Jack Kirby? Well, only 12 have Jack Kirby on them. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. Stanley would, I, I think he's been pretty even keel on what he, his thoughts are on Kirby. And he's never, I've never read him saying anything actually negative about Kirby. Not in the last 20 years, no, but there was definitely some bad blood said back and forth between both of them in the 80s and early 90s. In the 80s and early 90s? I see, I've never yeah. read anything with him saying anything overtly negative. Yeah, well, Stanley's always, he's always the publicity, you know, the publicity person, you know, he says, he says things in a way that's not going to hurt the marketing and stuff, you know, which is, which is, is good. Right. But there was definitely a time period where the two of them were not getting along and not nice to each other. But I mean... In the end, they reconciled at the end, and I mean, you can't, anybody who's in the know, anybody who gives a shit about comics knows that Stan Lee, you know, is a huge influence to everybody, and and even so is Jack Kirby, but, you know, for all that Jack Kirby created, Stan Lee was also creating more characters with other people, too. Yeah, yeah, and that's important, I mean, because people, when you talk about Stan Lee, if you're talking to a comic book fanatic like you or I, especially somebody who writes or creates comics, they like to bring up Kirby at the same time. Yep. And that's completely valid. But like what you just said, you know, out of all the stuff that's coming out, you have 12 associated with Kirby and 22 associated with Stan Lee. Because Stan Lee was with, if not anything, he was prolific during that time. He was writing. He was, he wrote a lot of those great Spider-Man stories that took Marvel into the era of drama and building character development because as DC was doing the silly 60s, as I guess you can call them or however people call them, because of <laughs> right. the Comics Code Authority, 
Marvel said, okay, we have some of these the silly stuff, but let's make it more about the human experience. Let's push it. Let's push the envelope. Let's push it and let's do this. And that's now, because of Stan Lee. He helped it is instant procure that. He did. And he also Stan Lee created the Marvel way of making comics, which was a different way. So traditionally and even currently today, a lot of times, comics are created to where the writer writes a script, the penciler pencils that script, the inker then inks those pencils, the colorist then colors on top of it, and the letter comes in and letters the script that was written by the writer on top of the pages, right? That's that's the traditional format of making a comic book. Yeah. The Marvel way of making a comic book that Stanley pioneered, which is what allowed them and allowed him to have his name on so many comics, which you can argue this was good or bad, and we can get that in a minute, but right. they, you know, he would go to his various creative teams, you know, the X-Men team, the Fantastic Four team, the Avengers team, the Spider-Man team, the Captain America team, and whoever was working on those books would say, all right, we need to do three issues that are about this. Here's your here's here's the base for your story. Here's your climax. Here's your middle. Go and he had and then the the creative team who was the artist would then take that story idea he had. They would then go draw a story, twenty two pages or however many pages they had back then. You know, sometimes like you know thirty four, thirty eight, whatever it was. Yeah. They would finish all the art out, and then Stanley would come back and write all the words on top of the art based upon the story he originally had. That's how all those stories were made. Is they were all based upon an idea Stan made. They would then the creative team would, and, and you can you can argue very 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 correctly that the artist team in that did have a hand in writing the story because they they created all the stage direction, right. all the direction right. of, of the storytelling. Very much a team effort in that way. Yeah, and then Stan came back in and would write the words, write the narration on top of the art. So really, the story, quote unquote, was written after the artwork. So it was kind of done backwards based upon ideas by Stan. Yeah. Which allowed him to write, which allowed him to be writing all those those books because he wasn't writing a full script and then handing it in. It was, here's an idea, go. When you're done, bring it back to me. I'll finish it off. That that's how it went. Right. That's probably that's why what created he was the Silver Age of Marvel so much. Exactly. You know? But his idea, his idea and his direction is the catalyst to getting those done. Yeah, and one of the things, one of the big falling outs between him and Jack Kirby, is Stan would give Jack an idea for like Fantastic Four or, or whatever. And then Jack Kirby would actually create a whole story, and he would write dialogue and write narration on the on yeah. the side panels for Stan, and then Stan would just ignore it and write his own. <laughs> and that was one of the big risks for the two of them because, I mean, you could you could argue who's the better writer, who's the better whatever, and, it's, and it, it, ultimately it's immaterial. They're both legends, right? Right, right, right. But it would be curious to have one of those issues with Jack's writing over it, not Stan's, and then compare them. That would because be I'm sure they're vastly different. Because while Stan went more lighthearted, telling stories that had meaning, he had you had some thought into them, but they were more, more light. Jack Kirby, if you read Fourth World, wrote more, you know, wrote a lot heavier stuff. Yeah, a yeah. lot more intense. So it'd be interesting to compare the two. But ultimately, even even given that, well, you can compare his new god stuff with their original Fantastic Four stuff and see yeah, the difference absolutely. in the writing. Yeah, yeah, because Jack Kirby's writing was a lot heavier, a lot more intense, and a yeah. lot more. Hard to take in, you know. Fantasy yeah. Four was a lot easier to read. Yeah. So the bulk of the characters Stan created was from sixty-one to sixty-eight. Yeah. And then, and, and then after that, he was. Do you know? And then why? Why was that? What What happened in sixty-eight? Well, well, I'm not too sure. They just they just started doing the whole thing because in seventy-one. Here's the deal, though. People don't understand. Stan Lee doesn't actually becomes Marvel's publisher until 1972, but he was their main editor up until that time. So all through the 60s and early 70s, Stan still had final say on anything that was happening in those books. 
Right. Okay. And then in 71, he does the famous Spider-Man LSD issues from 96, 97, and number 98, and publishes them without the Comics Code Authority, which gets everybody up in arms and says you had people that criticized him for doing that, and you had other people that were completely on board because they were excited that he did this. Right. So that was a big deal. And then in 1972, Lee becomes the Marvel publisher. So before that, everybody, I mean, even me, I always thought prior to knowing, you know, reading more research on Stan that he was just, he was a publisher from the day one, but no, he wasn't. No, 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 no. He was, he was a writer and he was the editor. Um, but he, you know, because once he becomes the publisher, then you start seeing Stan Lee presents on all the comic books and you start seeing that he is not, um, writing as much. Right. You know, and he becomes right. more of a, of a marketer for Marvel and becomes more of a figurehead. And then he becomes, and then like, I think in 80 or 81, it might even been in the late 70s. I don't have this written down and I should have, but he becomes president and he feels like it's too technical for him and he likes more to be towards the, the artistic people. And so he kind of, right. he, he takes himself out of that position. Right. Yeah. So, um, also, a good thing to mention too at this time frame is, you know, the, him and Jack Kirby and the, and the Marvel crew in the late 60s started doing stuff that nobody else was really doing. They kind of pushed the envelope there because you think about comics pre 1966, and what do you have? Yeah. A bunch of white people. Yeah. And what did Stanley and Jack Kirby do? They made the Black Panther. Yeah. They made Falcon. They started creating heroes that weren't white. Yeah. Well, they started. That was the one thing because I know DC was in New York, but. Marvel is very much a New York company. You know, they preference yeah, New York a are. lot. And that's that that's the makeup of New York. You can't walk down the street and only see white people. They're like, that doesn't make no, you any don't. sense. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that here, but I mean, especially in during that time frame, the fact that they could take the people around them and who they saw on the streets and what they were witnessing firsthand and then bring it into the the comics to show people. I, I I think it's a it's it's a cool thing. It's great because you had them make Black Panther and and Falcon and, and other characters, and then you had DC bring out you know bring in Black Lightning and you know other you know they had oh, and Marvel also had Luke Cage coming in the mix in yeah. the late sixties, and then you had other you know non white characters. You know they created Tomahawk over on the X Men, and they had yeah. other characters come in. They created you know uh, <laughs> the Master of Kung Fu Shang Chi, and they had they did this, and then the other companies started to take notice. Oh hey. We can make money or make publish books and make money on characters that aren't just blonde white guys. Let's do that. Let's and then it, it created this whole, you know, other type of. I don't want to say subgenre, but this other avenue of creating characters. Because even though it's, to you and me and to people listening, you know, black, white, Asian, whatever, it's just people. But back then, it, that's not how it was seen. Right. Right. And it's really a pioneer way for the bolt for you know Stanley to you know take the risk to create a character in a book that's you know led by a black guy yeah it's 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 a big deal it really is they pushed boundaries that that other publishers were too scared to push at that time because they're worried about the bottom line they're worried about sales yep and they created female heroes and gave them their own their own line you know captain or miss marvel had her own her own publishing line too yeah it's marvel's done a lot they've been a very important company when it comes to comic books and and not for the obvious reasons either not just because right. they're the X-Men and Spider-Man and, and all these big characters, but the fact that what we just outlined, the fact that they were willing to take those risks that other people are not, that we're not ready at that time. 
Right. Well, they created the X Men and started pushing social social issues of injustice and, and civil rights. And then, yeah, in Spider Man, you had a kid. You had a kid dealing with death and a kid dealing with trauma and his, you know his high school kid going through all the weird things you go through in high school and college. And you know they had the you know Captain America dealing with you know not and hey they had a lot of issues that people dealt with that weren't ever brought to the surface because of the Commerce Code Authority shutting, basically shutting down creativism for 20 years. Yeah. Well, and Stan Lee, you know, he approved the first openly gay hero in 1982's Alpha Flight. Yeah, and that's, that, that was a huge deal. Yeah, it was a huge deal, and and they weren't scared to, to take that on. And No, I mean... As much they, as they, I love the, fact, the, the stuff that DC does and has done and, yeah. and some of the stuff, they did not do things like that. They took very much well, a very safe way of getting things done well dc dc's been more has been a corporate comic company for a long time much as i hate yeah. saying that they've been owned by, by time uh, you know by time warner for a long ass time yeah 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 i mean you could say like marvel in the 60s and 70s was very much that startup company that you walk in yeah. and everybody's in an open area and they got <laughs> foosball tables and beanbag chairs and everybody's playing on the xbox where dc was very yep. much xerox corporate yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think and a lot of that has changed for DC lately because they're doing some really cool stuff. They got some really cool storylines, but yeah, you know, Marvel during that time was really sh- pushing that envelope when it comes to what a comic book could mean, right? And what and what and what and what kind of stories you can tell within the pages of a comic book. Yeah, it wasn't all just fluff. It was you know, it wasn't all just save the day stuff. It was, oh, you can read a comic book and come out of it with questions and and thoughts and thinking about things in your real life. Yeah, you can. That's the same thing comics used to do back with EC Comics in the 50s where you'd read those books and you'd come out of it going, what did I just read? And have to think about it. And then, you know, the Silver Age came in and it was all silly stories and fat flashes and whatever. And then honestly, I, I would I would I think the part of the reason why the CCA ended up going away and the rules got lax is because of the thing Mar- the stuff Marvel's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff, the stuff Stan Lee was pushing. Yeah, and that, and people weren't burning books in their <laughs> in their right. cities anymore. So it's right. like, okay, well, you know, when did you know? You know, the thing I, I missed here is when did he stop actually working for Marvel? I mean, he's always going to be thought of as Marvel, but he actually stopped working for Marvel when it was. So he stopped. He stopped writing for Marvel in nineteen. Uh, 19- 70 something i think his last his last issue was an issue of spider-man yeah uh his last issue was let's see spider-man 110 and uh 1972 so, is when he yeah. stopped writing monthly comic books to assume the role of publisher his final right. issue was amazing spider-man 110 yep and his last or fantastic four issue was 125 yeah which was one month later yeah but then he became the figurehead in the face of marvel and he was the publisher he ended up. Mo- I, know, I do know after that, after he stopped writing, he ended up moving west to Hollywood to L.A. Yeah, that's to, to push work the Marvel on the TV brand. shows and the, and whatever yep. movies they could do, and and that's when like yep. the cart like Spider Man and his fantastic and, and his amazing friends and stuff like that. Right, and then uh, the Incredible Hulk show with Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, which was a Bixby. huge success. It was. It was. It was. And that show is the reason why uh, Stan Lee and John Buscema made She Hulk. You know that? No, that's awesome. So in February, in February 1980, they published uh, the first print of She-Hulk because the TV show was talking about making a female Hulk on the show, 
And if they created it on the show, the studio would then own the character, not Marvel Comics. Yeah. Because of the way the contract's written. So what they did is they quickly put out an issue of She-Hulk to get her out get her on the get her out there to where if they did that on the show, Marvel would still own the character. Because it was Paramount that was doing it at the time, I believe. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that with She-Hulk and why they pushed it out so quick. So they, they wouldn't be first right. to market basically and be able to claim that that they own her. Yeah. Yeah, first to mark because the, the way the contract was written, anything created on the TV show was in property of that TV show or, or something, something like that. Yeah, contracts are weird, man. I, I when you read, read over contracts for like creation of characters and stuff, it gets it gets real dicey real quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And then really, once he moved to LA, and then he was the president of Marvel for a brief time. Then he steps down, and he and he's still the basic figurehead of Marvel, but he doesn't have any real say at that time. Right. And, and we he can becomes, actually fast forward to 1998. Yeah. Which is, I think it's a safe thing to do. We've, you know, and he starts Stanley Media and it grew to like 165 people or something like that. And then, uh, but it, it quickly got derailed because it was a mess. <laughs> yeah. It was a mess because there was illegal stock manipulation by one yep. of the co creators, Peter Paul. Right, who basically ran that in the, in the ground and it became... Yeah, they actually extradited him from Brazil. So he, oh, did they? Yeah, so he can... <laughs> to, and he pled guilty to violating uh, everything, which is funny because to be extradited from Brazil is... Like, if you got if you murdered somebody, Johnny, and you ran yeah. to Brazil, just get married right away and have a kid and Brazil will not extradite you. Well, and Brazil won't extradite with, for the death penalty, too. So if, if you kill somebody or whatever, and yeah. the U.S. says they're going to do a death penalty, they, they won't extradite you at all. That's crazy. There's the, the great train robber of England is in Brazil because England wants to extradite him for and, and put him to death, or they have for a long time in the 70s. And he just lives in Brazil because Brazil won't extradite him because of the death penalty. That's, that's, that's kind of that's interesting. I, I, I didn't hear yeah. about that. That's kind of weird. So let's go. So that happened from 98 to 2000 it's yep. unfortunate because they actually had a web series that i was listening to or watching at that time that his stanley media was putting out where the kids had right. superpowers and and from like a video game or something i can't remember it and i remember yeah, like I remember, I remember they it. did like seven or eight episodes and then that was it and i was like oh come on what the hell and i, and I didn't know all this <laughs> other stuff had happened yeah it got it, it got canceled for other reasons. <laughs> right, right. It got canceled for other reasons. That's right. So, and then but in he, 2001. He bounced back. Go ahead. Yeah, he bounced back. Yeah, he, so bounced, he bounced back. He bounced back after the one. Yeah, because 2001, him and some other people, uh, Arthur Lieberman, Gil Champion, they formed POW, Purveyors of Wonder Entertainment. I remember I remember that came out, and I was like, what? Because at the time, you know, 2001, I was you know, 20 or 19 years old. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, man, Stanley needs to go back to Marvel and just be at Marvel. Just be, be for Marvel, not do anything else. Because, you know, you just think of him as Marvel. I, I always grew up with him being, you know, part of Marvel. So yeah. I was, even when the, he had Stanley in media, I was like, eh, he should go back to Marvel. <laughs> yeah, well, and that particular entertainment group was formed. That particular entertainment group was formed to work on film and television and video game properties. Yeah. And then yep. they actually created the risky, like, animated stripperella for Sp spike tv do you remember that uh with, with with pam anderson yes i do yeah and that was that was him which is hilarious which <laughs> wasn't very good but you know i mean whatever <laughs> no but i mean that's when spike was doing the whole thing for you know just 
men. That's all they were really about. In that same time period, there was a lot of things coming out for Stanley Meaty and for Powell. Like, there were some comic books and other stuff coming out. It was like, from the mind of Stanley or Stanley Creator or whatever like that. But I, I often wonder how much say he actually had in it over, which is like, uh, there's a girl, she's a stripper, and she fights crime. And then, then they just made a series out of it. You know, like, how much creation did he actually make for those characters at that time? Because they were coming out with a lot of really strange characters out of Stanley at that time. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff going on because, you know, they. <laughs> And the power group actually sued Marvel for $5 billion. That's insane. With a B, billion dollars, claiming that <laughs> Lee had given his rights to several media characters to Stanley Media in exchange for a stock and a salary. And I guess there's, I, I guess they must have thought that they, that they had purchased Stanley Media. So by, that by transition they own the rights to these particular characters they don't actually list what those characters are i don't know i didn't get that far into it because it gets but so Stan- convoluted and and honestly i don't want to think of stanley suing marvel or vice versa i don't want that in my right. brain <laughs> well and stanley the way the contract's written by then stanley didn't really own the rights to any of those characters either yeah 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 you yeah, as a creator, I, you didn't you didn't retain rights until later on, and a lot of creators have got have a lot of creators have gotten retroactive rights, which is great, but a lot of them still haven't. You know, that's right. So, you know, and that really actually came about because he received no royalties from the first Spider Man movie, which is insane. Yeah, which is really insane. He should have received something. You know, it's like it's like the create uh, Len Wayne, the creator of Wolverine. Yeah, did you ever hear about that? He no. was. He was at a he was at a thing with Hugh Jackman about when Wolverine came out and he goes and Hugh Jackman was like you know Lynn Wayne you know thank you so much for your uh, what you've done for creating Wolverine he goes yeah I would have preferred a check though because he didn't get he didn't get anything either for any of the X Men movies or any of the X Men stuff after that for creating after creating Wolverine Ugh, that sucks man it just sucks because yeah, you mean, pour your heart into this stuff and you come up with these things and and then it like takes off and people love it and people know it and then some other company comes in and just makes billions off of it. Right. And a that, lot of contracts now are written to where they, creators have residuals for characters they make, but good. it's a lot of older character creators. That's why there's the Hero Initiative, and a lot of older creators don't have those those credits yeah. unless they sue for them. Yeah, all the- I all, mean, Joe Simon, Joe Simon's family have been suing Marvel over and over again about Captain America. I, I'm not, I, I believe there was a settlement, but I don't, I don't know the details of it, but I know for a long time they were suing for rights of Captain America, or at least some rights of Captain America uh, for the Joe Simon family. Yeah. Just like Siegel and Schuster sued DC and Warner Bros. over Superman. So crazy. So yeah, 2005 though Marvel paid him 10 million dollars. Right, right. And then they so, give him, then they, they give him a salary too. Well, it gets interesting because in 2008 George Bush gives him the the National um, American National Medal of the Arts, which is kind of cool. So he's oh, been recognized nice. by the American government as a you know somebody who has been a very big per, you know how how do I say this? He has offered many. What am I trying to say? He's been very influential to the world of literature. Yeah, he's been very influential in the world of, uh, in the arts. Let's say he's been influential yeah. in arts, in the arts. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. Which you can't deny. Love him or hate him, you can't deny that. You know? No, no. I mean, his his uh, whole imagination is just it's on par with any of the greats. Give me like, any. He, he, tell me any writer in history that they have the imagine that their imagination matches Stan Lee, and they either match. Or they're exceeded by Stan Lee. Right. Well, and another thing that helped Stan Lee 
be who he is, and not, not only just his great imagination is, he surrounded himself with other incredibly creative people oh, that yeah. allowed his visions I'm, to come to fruition. Yeah, you know? I'm sure he knows when he looks at somebody's art or he reads somebody's stories, he knows who is the truth. You know what right. I mean? And he's able to say, that guy has talent. I want him working for us. There's a reason why the Marvel had so many hits, and there's so many hits from this from that first run of the 60s, late, mid to late 60s. Yeah, that are still popular today because he teamed himself up with people who knew what they were doing and could take his vision and add their vision to it Dude, and make they something. Had, they had Neil legendary. Adams, they had Walt Simonson, they had Lynn Wine, Lynn Wayne, Gene Gene Colan, Don G- Heck, Jack Kirby, John Basima, John Romita Jr., Kirby goes on and on. And the thing is, is a lot of time when. Somebody would leave Marvel, they'd go to DC because DC's sitting there going, yeah, we're going to take these guys because we know what they can do. Yeah, we'll take them. Yeah, DC uses Marvel as a as a does public, not as a, bother as a me at all because you get the great cover arts on the DC line by Neil Adams because of that. Yeah. Because he was yeah. doing what? Uh, he was doing Nick Fury and things like that with Marvel. Well, he did, he did X-Men as well. Yeah, he did some X-Men as well. Yeah. So he did, he did X Men the X Men in the sixties before before the new X Men came in he was doing some of those as well. But he cut and his teeth at Marvel because they knew what it, they knew who he was they knew how good he was, and that's a lot of Stan Lee. Yeah, and Stan Lee saw. I mean, it's great. It's it's great. Yeah. So this is kind of cool. So in two thousand nine, the Walt Disney Company purchased ten percent stake of POW, and for two point right. five million, that was the beginning of them. They already. I think they wanted to make sure that he was in the fold, right? Because they had already, because they had purchased Marvel what in ninety nine or two thousand or something like that. Uh, two thousand. Let's look it up. I want to be. I want, I want that one to be right. If I can type right. Two thousand. They bought. Oh, two thousand nine. They bought Marvel in two thousand nine. Yeah. No, that's not right. Because Iron Man came out in two thousand seven. Two thousand eight. Well, whatever. It's still before two thousand nine. <laughs> I I agree, but Marvel Enterprises was bought in by Disney in two thousand nine. Can't in two thousand nine, the Walt Disney Company acquired Marvel Entertainment for four billion dollars and has been a limited liability company since then. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. Wow, you're so they right. bought they bought Disney after uh, Disney or uh, Marvel had put out Iron Man and Incredible Hulk. Oh, but but the but the beginning of them actually owning Marvel is nineteen ninety eight. Because New York City, formed by the merger of Marvel Entertainment Group and Toy Biz, the company is wholly owned subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, they didn't own Marvel then. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. But everybody knew it was Marvel with Iron Man, right? Or are we just being high and saying no? No, I think what happened is they were they did. This explains why. So in 2008, they released uh, Iron Man and Incredible Hulk with Paramount. There was nothing for. The MCU in 2009. There was nothing in 2010. Oh, Iron then, Man oh, was was released by Paramount. Yeah, exactly. They oh, didn't have they, they see, had just I somebody that. else. I thought that was a Disney movie, and it's not. No, that is they, uh, crazy. I thought they purchased yeah. Marvel back in like 2002 or something after Sony had such a big hit with Spider with the Spider Man trilogy. Nope, Marvel, wow. Marvel bought them afterwards. So you learn something Paramount. every day. Look at this. Yep. Yep. So they. So that, that's, that, that's why there was no MCU movies in 2009, 2010. And then in 2011, you had Captain America and Iron Man 2 and Thor coming out. And those years afterwards, there was a two-year gap. 
that's why phase one was so long you know so okay so walt disney probably said all right we're bu- we're buying marvel for four billion let's get a 10 percent stake of pow so that we can bring stan lee into the fold and not what have what happened with the spider-man trilogy where he sued right that's smart that's a that's that's smart and they know that the Stan, and then they start, you know, the Stanley cameos were already a thing, and they could, they could. I mean, that's a thing people look for in those movies, you know. Yeah, yeah, people like look for for Stanley, which in yeah, the, in the, I loved it in the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and he was <laughs> in the window <laughs> of the apartment. <laughs> I like, I love all the Stanley. I mean, and what's great is I don't think his cameos detract from the movie at all. No, you know, no, dude, his whole but, thing in Thor Ragnarok. Please, sir, don't cut my hair. <laughs> right. It's so great. It's so great. It's, it's going to be a really sad day when he no longer does cameos. Yeah. But well, he's getting older. I would not I would not be upset if he decided not to do them anymore. You, like, know? you know, based on – well, let's get through this, and then we'll do a little talk, and then – Okay. Then we're going we're gonna to take a pause, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about the current events of what's happening in, in, with Marvel and Stan Lee, or with Stan right. Lee specifically, not Marvel. So 2010, the History Channel launched the Stan Lee's Superhero, Superhumans documentary, right. uh, documents. I, used, which, to, which I used to watch those. Yeah, I watched them. I, I, think there was, it's, I think it was only one season. Yeah, it's only one season. Basically, it's, it's him with this guy who's, he was super stretchy or something, or super like bendy or something like that. And it was, he was sent out in the world to find people with superhuman abilities or things they can do. Like the guy who can run yeah. in the arctic within his underwear and not get cold and shit like that yeah yeah and they had the, the monkey guy that can climb like anything yeah it was it, it was a really fun show I like, it was I liked a fun it. show yeah it was it was interesting because there are real people doing extraordinary things yeah exactly that's why i liked it <laughs> yeah and then he did the partners with the national hockey league with the nhl which is kind of f- fun and they formed the guardian right. media entertainment and i you know i'd be uh, i'm not 100% sure of what they did, but they did create superhero characters for each NHL hockey team. Uh, I'm yeah, not heard sure about if that. they did anything with it or if, if it was whatever. Uh, it'd be interesting to check that out. And that's and you can go to NHL.com and find out more about that if you're interested. And then at the yeah. age of 88, Lee gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame finally, which you probably should have got in the 80s. I don't understand why they took <laughs> so long to get there. Uh, during an interview with CNN, he says that he devotes much of his time to his educational charity, the Stan Lee Foundation, which I think is probably true. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I I wish that I someday would have enough notoriety and money that I could donate most of my time to charity. That'd be so amazing. Right. Do you want notoriety or do you want fame? I mean, that's, notoriety is not exactly good. That well, means you're known for something bad, so. <laughs> not necessarily, but. <laughs> look, you know what I mean. Don't twist my words. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Well, it, people say that uh, all the time, right? And they just mean famous enough to say whatever, right? Right. <laughs> but notoriety is not a, necessarily a good thing because if you look up, I'll, I'll read you the definition just because it's kind of funny. The state of being <laughs> famous or well-known for some bad quality or deed, infamy, disrepute, ill repute, a bad name, dishonor, discredit. <laughs> well, fine. I don't want notoriety then, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> you learned something and I learned something today. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, Stanley, 95, I really feel that he needs to stop doing signings. I think he really should be resting and 
getting healthy or staying as healthy as possible at his age. Um, if some of the stuff is true yeah. that they talked about, um, I, I, anybody that's actually taking care of him, that's not saying you need to stop doing this. You right. Know, we need to have you be healthy. We want you here as long as possible and, and make him comfortable and he, and happy. And if he wants to do something great, but you know, if they're doing what, what it sounds like they're doing, then some things need to change. Yeah, a 95-year-old man signing 2,000 books in a day is a little a little ridiculous. That's way ridiculous. You know, I, I'm lucky when I saw met him two years ago, um, he was just like what you see on TV. Right. You know, and you look now, at... That was, before, that was before his wife died, too. I mean... That was before his wife died, and, and uh, yeah, and I was glad to be able to tell him, thank you so much, I appreciate everything, and then I also told him I'll never get rid of this book. This is for me, yep. not for yep. somebody else, and I'm just getting it slab because I don't want to get it ruined. Right. You know, and I met him. I I got, I got a chance to meet him years ago because uh, my lovely wife bought me a, one of the tickets to go get a picture with him. This I is, remember because I went to that comic con and me, you and and me and Tafine and Ella met you guys there. Yeah, yeah, that was like 2014, 2013, yep. something like that. Yep. And uh, I wasn't gonna do it, and she bought me a ticket, and so I went and did it, and it was. You know, back then I had a you know I had a little bit of time and talked to him a little bit and it was it was really nice. Well, you really had more time than most people because they had to change the camera stuff out. Yeah, yeah. So I had more time to sit there and chat. You know, it was great because usually it's like don't chat, just picture out, picture out. So right, it was nice and he was super pleasant and nice and he looked to be in good spirits, having fun at the time. Just the recent pictures I've seen of him at cons, he does not look like he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself at all, and it looks like he's tired and and, and ready to be done. And and it's not, I hate it. I hate seeing him yeah. like that, and I don't want him to, you know, my one of my, a big fear for me is that he, you know, he goes to some con and and he passes away at a con, right? That'd be terrible. That'd yeah. be so. And it's just like, man, you know, he's done enough. I know. It's just, it, you know, it's heartbreaking. If if any if any of that that shit is true, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know, we know, we know for a fact some of it's true because some of it has been proven that we can go into when we get to the timeline. But yeah, it's it's heartbreaking and it's sad and it makes me upset that anybody would think it's okay to treat any person, no matter how old they are, like that. Yep. Me too. Me too, man. Well, let's take a break because the next stuff we're going to get into is heavy. Yeah. And let's. uh, So we'll come back and then we'll get into this and um, you know and hopefully. Anybody who's listening has learned some things about Stan Lee and, you know, yep. and we put out our, our voicemail and feel free to, to call us anytime and maybe give us an anecdote of, of a time you met Stan and, and what he, and what it meant to you. Yep. Yep. You can that number 707-656-2080. Call with an anecdote about Stan Lee. Call about anything. I mean, leave us a voicemail about anything you want to let us yep. know. And, but it, it's, you know, just use it, use it as you want to. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, we're back. We had our we're back. quick dinner break, and I'm full. Well, I mean, I'm feeling good. It was quick, meaning we stopped recording like four or five hours ago, and I ran out of gas on the side of the road, but I got home, but still. That's crazy, quick. dude. What? So what happened? So Besides, I, was, I, I ran I, out I'm, of gas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew I needed gas. I even made a comment to Kaylee saying, hey, I need to get gas on my way to take, because I was taking Tegan to gymnastics. Anybody doesn't yeah. know I recorded that when I was at gymnastics, and I was like, oh, no, I've, I've got enough gas to get home. It should be fine. And we get literally probably less than a quarter of a mile from the house, and oh the car starts dying. Oh and no! I get off. 
I got off the main road and onto like, cause to get to my house, there's a main road, then you turn onto a road and then you go down, then there's, then there's a driveways, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm off the main road on like the, the turnoff road. <laughs> you know what you just and said? It just dies. She said, my house is, you know, you turn off a main road onto a road and then to another road and there's my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, it's not wrong. It's, it's, it's accurate. It's not but... wrong. I think you could probably explain almost anybody's house that way. <laughs> right? Right? That's funny. So then the car just the car just fucking just shuts off. And I'm like, God oh, damn it. Man. Tegan's like, did the car die? Is the car broke? I'm like, no, no. just out of gas. So then I have to call Kaylee and be like, babe, I'm out of gas. But then I got to hear, you t- you were supposed to get gas. I'm like, I know I was supposed to get gas, but I didn't. And I'm dead. Please come get me. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So then she had to come get me. We went and got gas. And I, I, I realized how much of a man that I am because I couldn't figure out how to use the gas can. Wow. Because the one that I bought had some really weird, like, venting lock on it. So to yep. use it, you had to push the button in to unlock it and then click it onto the gas tank of the car and push in to get it to go, get to flow. Yeah. yeah. Which the, the instructions to make that work was, like, inside the wrapper of the the gas can and all the gas cans I've ever used were just ones you take the cap off and pour, you know? Uh, all right. Well, we're going to gloss right over that part. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we left, we got, we got into our way back machine and we started yep. in 1922 with the birth of Stanley and we got all yep. the way up to basically today. Yeah. And this year. And now it gets into some, just because Stanley is a personal hero of mine, this is some dark shit to me. And I don't like it. I don't, is. I don't like it. You know what I mean? And I hope 99% no. of it is not real. It's not true. We're going to talk about it because it's something to talk about. It's something, something we want to talk about. We can't confirm that any of this or all of this is 100% accurate. We're going off what we're seeing on reports and yeah. and we're reading it at. And we think it deserves to be talked about because even if it's not real, it's fucked up. We would be making, we'd be making this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the likelihood that it is a lot of this is true because, you know, there's a yeah. lot of concerned I'm, parties. You know, yeah. So and, and some of it is true, and some of it we know is true. Yeah, too. and so we're gonna go right off. Screenrant.com actually published a timeline of the events leading up to yep. where we're at today, and it's kind and of. And we'll link that down in the description, and we'll link to the Hollywood Reporter review on it as well, as well as some other news sites we've been reading to, about all yeah, of this. Yeah, we'll too. we'll link where we got most of our information. Well, we'll, we'll link where we got all of our information. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And we'll go from there. So what we're going to do right now, though, is we're going to talk about Neil Adams has expressed great concern over the fact that Anderson has been fired. And BleedingCool.com published a message um, that Neil Adams wrote. And we have that up. And and Johnny has it in front of him. And he's going to read what Neil Adams said. And some of the players that he talks about isn't really doesn't really say what it is. So we'll tell you Max Anderson is the bodyguard and longtime friend of Stanley. And most people don't like Max Anderson, but everybody <clears throat> respects how he has treated Stanley and the fact that he has put Stanley's uh, health needs and personal security in front of anybody else's. So there's that. And then the other thing they talk yeah. about, he, he, he mentioned is JC who is Joan Stanley's uh, daughter, which I think she's like 67 years old by now. And we'll go from there. And you want to read that letter? Yep. I will read it the best that I can. To whom it may concern. I know Stanley as well as one can, having not had daily contact with Stan. I have met his wife, who was a charming, lovely, and intelligent person. I have met his daughter only briefly when she worked as a receptionist at Marvel Comics. 
She was not liked by anyone I spoke to, and I haven't heard anything good about her since then except a few people's brief encounters at which time she was described as charming and gregacious. Stan's loss of his wife, Joni, devastated him as he had lost everything because, in effect, he had. She was the dream wife, the model, actress, the blonde, vivacious girl he met in England and was lucky enough to marry. Max Anderson is a street punk. He's also a straight talker, and there's no bullshit with Max Anderson. He had his own agenda, as anyone with a brain would have, but he was dedicated and devoted like a dog to Stan Lee. Some people don't like street punks, but I would place my family's safety in the hands of a street punk rather than a lawyer or a conniving businessman. Stan had a devoted, perfect man for his needs in Max Anderson, and now, if anyone wants to understand why I am terrified for Stan Lee's life right now, just read the news. You could say, why do you give a damn? Stan will be dead soon. And I would tell you that my family kept my mother alive between the ages of 80 and 93, and I treasure that time. I have cried knowing what has happened to Stan. I do not know the answer to this one. I know that Stan needs Max just as a farmer needs his dog. The only advice I have for anyone involved is to please, please have the police continually monitor the situation for anything that might endanger Stan. For the sake of us all who love Stan, remember that depression affects life. Please protect him until Max can once again act on his behalf as his guard dog. This is street level stuff, folks. It really is. See that? Yeah, well, there you go. That's uh, that's pretty powerful stuff when you th- when you put it into context. And now that you know who Max Anderson is and yeah. who, what he's meant to Stan Lee for how long he's meant for Stan Lee and the respect that Neil Adams is giving him. And Neil doesn't give respect to everybody. I think anybody who has not, read anything about Neil Adams it. knows that he's not somebody just to give out praise for anybody. No, not unless you've earned it with him. He's not going to say it to you. And what gets me about this letter is that it's just it's so, you know, Neil knows Stan as much as anyone can. He says, you know, and, and he's worked for Stan and he's he, he's talked with Stan and been over to his house and stuff and spent years working on X-Men, you know, directly with Stan Lee. And it just you can feel the. I don't know. It feels like a very personal letter that he wrote. You yep. know, there's, yep. there's, you can, you can feel the emotion in the words he's, he, he put in that letter, you know? Yeah. Well, and then blendingcool.com published a second article about concerns over Lee's well being and Anderson's firing. And this time from comic creator J. Scott Campbell, who is well respected oh. in the industry as well. And his letter says forcibly cutting Max out of Stan's life. And so soon after his wife Joni has passed, seems particularly cruel to the both of them and has caused a lot of us in our industry to talk much of it about our collective concern about the mystery of who exactly is taking care of Stan and now and why is he being kept out of the sight and in his home. I mean, think about it. Instead of being taken to a hospital, this ill 95-year-old man is being kept hidden away in his house. The only glimpse of him filmed for exploitive TMZ videos? Question mark. Max took much better care of Stan than this. I have great concern for Stan, and I do hope more in our industry start speaking up, start asking more questions, and start shining more of a bright light on this situation to find out what exactly is going on here before it's too late. That's pretty crazy. It's it's a it's a crazy time, man. I mean, we got Stan Lee, who is this legend, and he's. I mean, if if everything we're hearing and we're reading here is true, that is happening, that he is being taken advantage of by what whoever these people are. I mean, yeah. it's a lawyer and his daughter or whatever. Yeah, right. That's fucked up. It is. Like March. That's a fucked up way to go. So March seventh, Kevin Smith expressed concern for Lee on Twitter, 
saying he was extremely worried. And then, yeah. you know, and later addressed a tweet to Lee's official account saying that none of the phone numbers he has for Lee work anymore. And this, so. That's crazy. Yeah. They've, they've, cut off, they've, they've cut off his contact with anybody, it sounds like. Yep. There was no response from Lee's account um, when he asked to come visit. Kevin Smith asked to come visit. And this is Kevin Smith. Man. Yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, Stanley's been in his, you know, was in his, was in Mallrats, and they know each other. Okay, here's March fifteenth. This is where things start to get kind of weird. March fifteenth, JC, that's Stan's daughter, and Morgan, uh, I believe her attorney, went to the offices of POW Entertainment. Um, now that's the that's the company that we mentioned earlier that Stanley started yes. in, I think two thousand eight, and that Disney has purchased ten percent of in two thousand nine. Right. Okay. The media company. So JC and Morgan went to the offices of POW Entertainment, the media company co-founded by Lee, at night and took unknown materials, causing the company to alert the LAPD. In a video recorded by Morgan, Lee said that Morgan and JC went to the offices to bring home some personal artifacts. Now, this is Lee. This is Morgan videotaping Stan Lee saying this. Went to the office to bring home some personal artifacts that he wanted at home. Powell responded by saying they found it highly unusual and unexpected that Morgan and JC would show up in the middle of the night to remove items without notice or permission. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Yeah, I mean, if they're like, personal if effects, like, if, you can go there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you can literally go there any time to get it, especially if you're Stan Lee. You can send whoever you want to get it during the day. You don't need to show up in the middle of the night, especially if it's... You know his daughter JC, who him, who him and or her and Stan have a very colorful past, and you know, yeah, this shit wasn't happening when when Joan when Joni was alive. No, when his wife was alive. No, I'm sure she kept everything in order. Yeah, as wives do. Yep. <laughs> March 29th, Spawn creator Todd McFarlane visited Lee in order to check on him, having been concerned by the recent spate of news articles. McFarlane later published a Facebook posting which he described the one-hour visit. The two exchanged stories in everyday normal banter, but McFarland did not claim to offer any insight into Lee's life, saying, what Stan does with all the rest of his personal time has something was not something we talked about during her, his visit. So nothing yeah, came I saw of, that post. Of, yeah, of, of Todd McFarland going there, except for that it, it seems he had a, a normal thing. And again, this is off a screen rant. You can It's a timeline of the events that has happened up to um, the last few days. Feel, you know, please go there and see this for yourself if it, if it does interest yeah. you. Uh, we're not trying to promote bullshit. It's just that, you know, for us and doing a podcast about comic books more than anything else, <laughs> right. you know, we have a we have a deep respect for Mr. Lee and, and a lot of love for Mr. Lee for what he's brought this community. And it's just yeah. really pissing me off to read this stuff. Yeah, I remember I saw McFarlane's post because I follow him on Facebook when that happened. And I remember reading it, and in the post, you know, he he you know he he makes a, a good point to say that it he everything seemed okay, but just in res- in retrospect of that one hour he spent, it was fine. But he, you know, he made it very clear that he doesn't know what's going on outside of that one hour. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so April first, TMZ reports that someone had used eight hundred fifty thousand dollars of Lee's money. To purchase a condominium. And the Hollywood Reporter reports confirmed that it was Oliveras who purchased the condominium. But Oliveras says that Lee gave him permission to buy it because Oliveras had received death threats and Lee wanted him to live in a secure building where he thought he'd be safe. 
I don't even know who <laughs> Oliveris is. So no, how he's why is this person getting death threats? Unless people think that he's doing something yeah. in ill repute. But if you're sending somebody death threats, then you know, fuck off. You shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, don't same, do that shit. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. But at the same time, it's like, what? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's awful nice of Mr. Lee to buy him an $800,000 condominium. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Okay, so here's the weird one. And you actually posted about the this um, earlier this no, week. Yeah. April yep. 2nd, uh, a TMZ article was published featuring claims by Kia Morgan. A former business associate had used a forged document to order a blood sample from Lee and that the blood was to be placed of an ink collection of specifically commissioned pins. The Hollywood Reporter's report confirms that the businessman in question was Jerry Oliveras. <laughs> and oh, that's what that asshole is. A, yeah, and there was indeed a merchandising effort that involved Lee's blood being mixed into spe- specifically designed DNA ink. Oliveras claims that Morgan organized a smear campaign to make the blood ink merchandise sound sinister. And denies that he stole the blood, saying that Lee was on board with the idea and gave his doctor and his doctor gave approval. Now, this being said, I don't know who, who Jerry Oliveras is. It seems weird that Stan would give him eight hundred fifty thousand um, dollars, you know, to buy a condominium. And then later on, he's talking about that Stan Lee was on board with him using mixing his blood in. I can kind of believe that because Stan Lee done, did this in the 70s with Kiss. And they, the blood, a blood thing. Yeah, yeah. They actually extracted blood from all the members of Kiss, and they mixed it with the ink, and they printed the Kiss comic book from the seventies um, with their blood mixed in with the ink. Interesting. You didn't know that? I think I, I as you say it out loud, I remember hearing about reading about that. But yeah, yeah that's they still, actually talk about weird. it on the comic book, man. That's why I learned about it. <laughs> when they <laughs> when they go and meet Gene Simmons at a Kiss concert. Yeah, so they. they they mix it in with the, the the printing of the comic. Yeah, yeah, the ink that they use for the printing of the comic. So it wasn't like a ton of blood, like you know, but it, it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, it's it's just even even given that, it, means, it still seems very very. I'm fishy just that- saying he's done it in the past. So if it's something that they wanted to do as a marketing thing, I could see Stanley being okay. Let's do it. We did it with Kiss. Let's do it with me. You know. Yeah. I guess, but, but maybe. then when you look at the report before that, he gave this guy eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to <laughs> buy a condo. I mean, that just doesn't make any. Who gives somebody eight hundred fifty thousand dollars? That's not a relative to buy a condominium, right? Like, I mean, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't pass the up. smell test. It doesn't add up, right? Right. It doesn't pass the smell test. So April seventh, this is when um, a lot of concerns started happening. Stanley attended the Silicon Valley Comic Con. And many oh, fans yeah. expressed concerns about how fatigued he seemed. In a Facebook post, multiple fans said they heard about an incident in which Lee fainted or fell asleep during the convention. Uh, many said that they had been excited to meet the hero, but were sad and concerned when they saw the state he was in. If you go on and you can do the research yourself, um, there's claims that they were yelling at him and how to spell his name when when signing his name on there. Uh that I guess people were mad that he had taken a nap, but I think that was a common thing that he would do was go and take a nap in between the sessions of signing. Because yeah, he takes he 90s. takes naps. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the video of, of them saying sign his name, and if you watch the video, it 
Yeah. It definitely it, it it's kind of sad because he 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 looks he does not look like he's having fun and the whoever the guy is in the suit and the quasi bowler top hat and sunglasses in the dark is just looking at him like sign Stan Lee. Stan Lee, right? Stan Lee as he as they hand him books and there's just some muscle bound dude that's next to them taking the books and pulling the books out from after, after Stan Lee signs them. And the lady's like, Oh, we had paid to have him sign in a certain spot, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's, it's fine. He's tired. You know, like she's being very cool about it. And the people, the handlers around him look very much indifferent. Like they don't want, they don't care. Yeah. It's very, it's a very interesting video to, video, video yeah. to watch. Yeah. I don't like watching it. It just, it just, I, it just pisses me off because I, yeah. I just think of my mom and, and how, how, well, yeah. how do you treat your elders that way? No matter who they are. Right. You know, we, we talked about, you know, we've met Stanley in the past and years ago and yeah. you know, two years ago. And I think I mean, for like four or five years ago. And when I met him, he was smiling, happy, in good spirits. And same for you. You know, we, I met his, him a year after you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so it was like three years ago then yeah. for me. Yeah. You met but him anyways, in 2014. Yeah. And then I met him in 2015. Yeah. So anyways, that you know, you've seen the, the, these videos now and he looks, does not look happy. And no. it, you can, you can. You can see the change in someone's demeanor and how they're holding themselves, how they look. He just looks tired and worn out, and he probably is. And you know, maybe, maybe that's maybe he does want to be there. Maybe this is what he wants to be doing. I don't know, but just looking, well, taking the information that I'm given in and what I can see, it does not look like it. Yeah, you know, well, the thing is, is you know, I, I don't know these people from Adam. You know what I mean? No, but yeah, it me sounds neither. like a lot of people don't trust his daughter, and I don't know, but that's his daughter. You know, and and he, you know, he probably knows that, you know, I'm 95. I don't know how much, much more time I have and I want to spend it with my kid. And, yeah, you know, at this point, I don't fucking care what she needs or what she, I, you know, what she's doing because I right. just want my last bit of time with her. And I could get that and I can respect that. And, and I might not like it because I just want I really would love it if he just went to some place that just allows him to rest and relax right you know just to calm to calm himself down and yeah, not be or, so into everything yeah yeah or you know if he want if it's his choice to work until he dies that's his choice but i just yeah. want to make sure i i just hope i shouldn't i i want to make sure because i can't make sure of shit i just right. hope <laughs> that the people around him are giving him all the love support and both emotionally and physically that he needs and that they're putting yeah. his needs in front of their own right now, you and know, in front of the needs of making money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, crazy. We, he, you're right. He could, this could be what he wants to do until he dies. And if that's the case, more power to the man. Right. However, just, just going by the reports and just going by what we see, you know, and we could be wrong. And if we're wrong, we're right. wrong, but it does not appear that that's what's happening. It no, appears it appears like, like it's someone's really being taken advantage of, and a 95 year old man signing 2000, whatever, how many ever thousand comics in a day and taking thousands, you know, hundreds or hundreds or thousands of pictures a day. That's, I mean, that'd be hard for you and I to do. And, yeah. you know, we're a lot yeah. younger. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I got to meet him in 2015 at the Emerald City Comic Con, thank you, Mr. Lee. That was awesome and amazing. You know, yeah. you could tell he was all his faculties. He was very alert. He was talking. Yeah. He didn't have a problem hearing. He didn't have a problem. Hey, doing you know what he wanted to do. He shook my hand. He had. Right. It wasn't like he just put his hand out there and it was grabbing, you know, whatever. It was 
a firm handshake, you know? And yeah, you know, but that was before his wife died. And, you know, when you're married that long and you're and he has said many times, that's his best friend and the love of his life. And they leave. It changes you. It cha- Well, it changes you. And plus, when you're that old, dude, it usually it's it, when she died. I said, oh, man, that means he's next. He's, he's next. Soon. And, and soon. Yep. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, case on point, look at June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash. She died and he and he pretty much he was a different person for the next six months and he died. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? that's usually what happens. Yeah. That, especially for people who have been together that long. Yep. So it's, you know, it's just really sad and it really breaks my heart. Yeah. I just wish the man the best and whatever he needs and wants, he gets it and it doesn't matter to, I mean, stop doing the cameos if you need to stop doing signings. It's not going to. It's not going to change anything. You've signed enough stuff in your life that people are going to try and sell over the next 10,000 years. So, <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure he's probably signed at least one one thing of every Marvel comic ever printed, you know? Oh, yeah, probably. At, at least from like from the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. <laughs> right. And, and probably pro- all the way up until like last year. <laughs> and, a, and a fair amount of DC comics, too. I'm right. Sure. Right. Especially because of the Big Bang. Well, that's one thing we forgot to mention in our uh, the first half of this show is that he did end up doing a Just Imagine series for DC where he did. That's right. He reimagined all the main DC characters like Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. His Catwoman one was cool. Yeah. They put him out in, I think it was 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in that range. And uh, they're yeah. pretty cool. I have the I have, I have the whole set of them. They're, they're pretty oh, interesting. His, Bat- his Batman one's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, have the, I have the whole set. Oh, cool. His Batman one he's, uh, is 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 a really fun read, and it's you'll have to decide for yourself whether it's good or not. Right. But it's it's definitely interesting. Did, how is the Catwoman one? Because I I know the concept of the Catwoman one. When I read the synopsis, I was like, that sounds cool, but I never read so, it. So it was all right. It was pretty good. My favorite one though was the Flash. Oh, Okay, and how did he do the his Flash? version of? I don't want to tell you. I want you to read it. It's just it's it's because oh. it's really it's he did a really good job of 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 changing the Flash, and it it's. You he changed it, but still it, kept though, the spirit because of what this show is. No, I don't want to. I it's want you to spoiler read spoiler country. I'm just going to go read the synopsis sp- anyways. I don't want to spoil it. Read the synopsis then. It's fine. <laughs> but it's his Superman one was our, it was our, it was all right. But I mean, the Flash one was my favorite. Cool, very cool. Well, you know, I hate to to end on a on a low note. You know, well. Let's end so, on a high note. What's your What's your favorite? That's what I was trying what, to get to, but you don't let me talk. You're You're. <laughs> You told me to interrupt you in the talk, so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, but not like this. <laughs> this isn't what I meant. Not like this. Pull back. Pull back. All right, go. You can go. No, I was saying <laughs> I don't want to end on a on a low note. I want to end yeah. on a high note. And maybe okay. we can think of, you know, when you think back of Stan Lee, what is something that you're going to be like, you know, either say, hey, thanks to Stan Lee, or maybe a memory that he is the cause of. So I have, I, I have, yeah, I have two. I have two good oh, memories that I can look back on Stanley of, if you if you allow me. Oh yeah, no, take your time. So the first one and is, mine is, is his camp- <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, I'm dead. Okay, go. <laughs> the first one is his cameo in Mallrats or his character in Mallrats, right? Mallrats for me was a big movie when I was a kid because it came out in the mid '90s. I got a copy on VHS and I watched it until it fucking broke. Yeah, you know, pretty much. And that was the first movie that to me Mallrats was a Holly was a big budget Hollywood movie. I didn't know any difference as, as a 13 year old kid. Right? I thought it was a it's a big movie and 
you know, I was like, oh, it was, it was the first time that I saw comic books and a comic book creator in what I considered a mainstream movie and it being right. a big deal. You know, it, it was, was a, a mainstream movie, though. Yeah, it, it was in theaters and everything. Yeah, Ke- and it's, well, it's, Kevin I Smith love that movie. Clerks was ginormous, dude. Yeah. I mean, I think you were 13, 12 when it came out because you're a 1980, Something like that. right? 82 for me, yeah, when yeah, I was born. See, I was 19 when Clerks came out and it spoke yeah. right to me. See, I you saw Mallrats first. I think I was 14 when I saw Mallrats. 14 or 15 well, when I saw Mallrats. I saw Mallrats in the theater, and, and I couldn't wait I for didn't. it to come out. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, my God, Kevin Smith's new movie. <laughs> Thankfully, my mom didn't know what it was when she bought it from VHS. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a young Ben Affleck in there. Yeah. Yep, Jason she, Lee's in it. It was a you big know, deal great. that Shannon Doherty was in it. Right. Now, I, I that, that for me is like, that's what, to me, told me, oh, comic books can be cool. You know, yeah, because it was in his movie, and then he was somebody the, unabashed for his love of comics. Exactly, and then uh, you know Brody's character, and then he meets Stan Lee, and they t- he keeps asking him about the thing, sex organs, and you know whatever. But uh, and then the second one for me would be um, growing up. Stan Lee wasn't like it was. It was funny because you know growing up, Stan Lee was this great was everything Marvel, right? All my friends and my dad, everybody would talk about Stan Lee as. You know, he was like the creator, the 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 guy who behind all the Marvel stuff. But since I grew up in a DC house, you know, my my dad and I both read a bunch of DC comics. Yeah. You know, it was always well, Stanley created these guys, but you know, Joe Schuster and Jerry Seagal started the whole thing with Superman. Right. You know, or you know, Bob Kane and Bill Finger created Batman. So you I mean they're they're more important than anything Stanley's done. And that's that's what that's what I got growing up. So it was always like the comparison thing. Right. But then if you think about it, if they're, everyone they're comparing to is being compared to Stan Lee, well then you know what status is. It's like basketball. Right. Everybody gets compared to Michael Jordan. You know. Right. Even if they're better. Yeah. It's you know? always compared to Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is most of the people that you compare, the only, you know, the only guy that you could actually put on the same almost level playing field with Stan Lee when it comes to uh, their influence. Yeah. It's probably Bill Finger. Probably. And, but, Think and, about he, and that. he's, he was the one that nobody knew about for a long time. Yeah. He's responsible for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, you, you know, all the rogues gallery of Batman and everything else, but yeah. And Green, you, and, and Green know, Lantern. And, and everybody <laughs> has all these things that they say, well, like Schuster and Spiegel, Siegel and, and everything else. But, Stan Lee has many characters that he's attached to, yep. not just one a iconic. Ton. He's got a ton of icons. <laughs> I mean, really, the only other creator that has anywhere near as close as iconic characters under their belt would be Jack Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and half, half of, of those are with Stan, are Lee. With Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Half of them are with Stan Lee. But, you know, he created the whole fourth wood for DC and a bunch of stuff over there and he created a bunch of other stuff. And, but yeah. really, I mean, DC it comes treated down Jack to, Kirby like shit. DC treated a lot of people like shit. But yeah, that's a that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different thing altogether. Okay, so Marat, yeah, Stanley, go. Mar- what do you mean go? Well, you didn't. You just said you saw him in the movie, but you didn't actually say why it was a special memory. No, it was a special memory because it was. The, I said it was the first time that I saw comics in a movie oh, being gotcha. taken seriously as a as a thing that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was his cameo in it that was you know. Brought it to like, oh, there's a creator in a movie. You can be a comic book creator and do movies too. You know, yeah. that was a whole realization for me at the time. That's cool. That's cool. I, yeah. I I took it as something else when you were talking. I thought you were. Oh no, no, that's, that's what our was. normal yeah, yeah. tangent, and then <laughs> you're gonna bring it back around. <laughs> of, of like, you know. So what was your second thing? You said you had a second thing. 
I, I said the second. I said both of them already. Wow, I'm totally lost. The second thing was the second thing was growing up in a house of DC, and my dad always compared everybody to Stan Lee. Oh, because you know why, dude? The, you didn't you didn't delineate the two. That's what made me confused <laughs> because you're talking about Marats and you just went into this other thing. So I thought you were talking about Marats and that you were thinking about it, but your dad always said this stuff. So you're like, eh, but you know, he's in Marats. He never so listened cool. to me. He it's never listened special. to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, what's your what's yours, Kenrick? What is yours? I'll listen to yours. Well, you already know mine, actually. <laughs> you know, and mine is just. It's really going to be. I grew up reading more Marvel um, than DC. I, you know, when I read DC, it was always either ninety nine percent of the time it was Batman. I didn't really read any other thing else from DC at that time. Uh, so I grew up reading Spider Man and X Men and and um, some Thor. Not a lot of Thor, you know. And I never really read the Avengers. No, I, nobody did. I don't think anybody really <laughs> did. And I never. I knew who Iron Man was because of Black. I mean, Sabbath somebody did more than but... the yeah. I knew Iron Man because of Black Sabbath more than the comic books, actually. Right. You know? Um, but uh, just well, that's, a, that's like everyone's first song on guitar to play is, is Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. Bum, Mine, yeah. Bum, Mine was Deep Purple, but it's either that no. or Deep Purple. So, you know. Anyways. Yeah. You know, so I read a shit ton of Spider-Man. Yeah. Y- you know, and a shit ton of X-Men. But when I was a little kid and Spider-Man is Amazing Friends came out. And I think it was like, yep. I don't know, at the beginning, it wasn't Stan Lee doing the voiceover. It was later on. And I don't know, You can people can look it up. But he would come on the TV and he'd say, you know, he would go, true believers, and then do his whole spiel about the episode of Spider-Man. And then it would go into the theme music. And I grew up hearing Stan Lee every Saturday morning. Yeah. You know, so it was... That will be a memory for me always. And then, of course, meeting him in 2015 and, and getting the chance to say thanks. You know, you don't always get a chance to do that with the people that created your childhood in a, in a way, <laughs> which is cool. So just just to, to follow that up is the, you're talking about the show from the early 80s, right? Yeah. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, it was uh, Dick Tufield was the first narrator for the yeah. first 13 episodes. And then Stanley narrated last the last 17. Yeah, there you go. But that was on reruns for a long time. Oh, yeah. That was on reruns when I was a kid. I remember watching yeah. that show on, on Saturday morning cartoons and after school, you know, when I was I, when, in the 90s. Yeah. And I think you can actually watch almost all of them on YouTube now. Probably. We I mean, can watch yeah. if you look hard enough, you can watch everything online. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Correctly or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. I'll tell you, you know, whatever. All right. Well, I think that's a show. That's a show, man. That's, that's a Stan Lee show. That's Excelsior. a Stan Lee show. Excelsior. Yeah. Where can people listen to us? Anywhere podcasts are heard. And if we're not there, tell us and we'll try to get there. That's right. You can open up your podcatcher on your phone and just Google, Google, just search for Spoiler Country. Google has infected everybody's brain. That is yeah. crazy. That and you could s- say, okay, Google, play, play Spoiler Country and it'll probably work. Or you can say, Alexa, play Spoiler Country and it'll play a new episode. That's right. That's right. So, you know, come check us out. And. Oh, God damn it, Alexa. Shut up. <laughs> that was Johnny's Alexa. You can contact us at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can go to spoilercountrypod.com. Or you Absolutely. can go to spoilercountry.libsyn.com. Or mm-hmm. you can go to our YouTube channel and just go to YouTube and search Spoiler Country. Or you yep. can get a hold of us on Twitter. Just search yep. Spoiler Country and you'll we'll come right up. 
And same yep. with Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. I always forget about Instagram because I'm not an Instagram yeah. person. I have I an Instagram. Uh, that's me. People on there, but Johnny does Instagram all the time. But we're very yeah. active on Twitter. Yep. And you can call us in the voicemails, too. Yes. Give us our number. 707-656-2080. One more time. 707-656-2080. Call, leave a voicemail. We'll listen to it, and we will put it on the show if we like it. All right. Well, there you guys go. Don't forget. Open your mind. Read more. Read more.